0: I'm Damian Bulwa, today on Fifth and Mission, the case of the rideshare rapist. One year ago, in July 2018, San Francisco police announced a breakthrough in an infamous crime spree. A man was arrested and accused of posing as a Lyft driver before picking up women and sexually assaulting them. But as reporter Evan Cernofsky tells us, the case may be in jeopardy because of the way police officers obtained the suspect's DNA during a DUI stop. Evan Cernofsky, right after this. Evan Cernofsky, thanks for coming back. Hey, thanks for having me. Evan, uh, we brought you in today because you're working on a story. You cover San Francisco law enforcement for us. And for a long time, you've been covering a case about a suspect known as the rideshare rapist, a really frightening case. Uh, before we talk about your big exclusive story, why don't you take us back to this case, why it was so scary? Who is the rideshare rapist?
1: So, this case dates back to at least 2013 when police saw a string of similar crimes that were equally frightening in nature. Somebody was posing as a r- driver for a ride hailing company, either Lyft or Uber, and they were uh, picking up intoxicated women outside of bars in San Francisco's south of Market neighborhood around 4th and Howard. And then this suspect, this person who they didn't know who it was, had a similar M.O. where they would hold their victims at knife point, rape them, kidnap them, and then drop them off. And over a series of about five years, this person was connected to at least four cases. Police recognized they were able to obtain DNA profiles from these cases and matched them all together. Unfortunately, they, when they ran those DNA profiles into the federal database, nothing came back. So there was no suspect who had previously been arrested and whose DNA had been collected that they were able to match this person to.
0: So they know they've got one suspect who's doing multiple crimes because the evidence points to the same person. That's right. And this was a big issue, and it still kind of is today. Um, we see a lot of tips from law enforcement about getting into the right ride-sharing business, as people obviously take Uber and Lyft more often in other companies. Um, this led to a lot of fear, right?
1: Right. As ride-hailing services have proliferated in San Francisco, probably more than anywhere else in the world, um, we start to see a lot of the challenges and dangers with it. And the district attorney This year actually launched a program called Rideshare with Care. You see all these cases where people are, you know, jumping into vehicles, whether or not it's even a ride-hailing car or not. They just might assume it's theirs, and a fight breaks out or some kind of altercation breaks out. So this has become, with the ubiquity, increased ubiquity of these ride-hailing services, there's, you know, challenges and fears that come along with it.
0: Okay, to make sure we're clear, the suspect in these cases was not the person that the app picked out or that accepted the ride. The person wasn't logged into the system at the time and then took advantage of their own customer. They pulled up on someone who thought who had actually probably ordered a ride, and uh, the driver was still not quite there yet
1: that's right and and this person prayed specifically on very intoxicated women who might not realize that they're getting into the right car. He also worked for Lyft. He wasn't using the service at the time, but he had the placards on his car, police said. Uh, so the so the
0: victims would see Lyft on the car.
1: Right. And then they go, oh, I ordered one. And then he would say out the window, hey, did you order a Lyft uh. or whatever? And they would, you know, stumble into the car and be in and out of consciousness in the back seat as he's driving them to, you know, whatever location where he would inevitably commit these hor- horrific crimes.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, I, re- I remember um, you writing about it, We, we us working on, on this case. There was a breakthrough at, at some point, right?
1: That's right. So in July of 2018, one year ago exactly, police called this press conference at headquarters. They didn't say what it was going to be about. They called all the media there, and they say, we have a big announcement. And when everyone was there, they put up a picture of this man, Orlando Vilches Lazo. They said, this is the person we've been looking for. We know he's responsible for at least four of these rapes because we've um, connected his DNA to four of the victims, DNA left behind at the crime scenes in four of these cases. And they had... Explained that they had been part of a task force where they were monitoring the area. They were looking out for suspect vehicles. They were canvassing the neighborhood. They had police, FBI profilers working on developing a possible sketch and profile. They had suspect vehicles. This was a huge investigation. Yeah, as you would expect because it was
0: causing so much fear. Right. Wow. Okay. So they they said that they um, arrested uh, Vilches Lazo. How did they say they were able to find him?
1: They said they, they, um, they obtained his DNA during a traffic stop and matched that DNA to the suspects, but they didn't really elaborate at the time on what the particulars of that traffic stop were. Today, we learn some of the details through a motion that the defense attorney for Mr. Vilches Lazo filed in superior court.
0: And okay so they arrested him they weren't totally clear on exactly how they'd matched him um but they let him go from that traffic stop initially and then after they get an alleged match with DNA from the crime scene they arrest him and he's been in jail ever since on a whole bunch of counts right
1: Right. So they so they get the DNA back that links him to one of the rapes, and then they start writing a bunch of search warrants. They write uh, something about five search warrants, I think. They search his home, they search his car, they search his electronic devices, and they really build this big mountain of evidence. So they're able to take him under arrest, put him in jail, and really l- l- mount this Massive prosecution against him with a litany of charges, including kidnapping, rape by force, uh, kidnapping with intent to c- commit a crime that could ultimately uh, lead to a lifetime imprisonment.
0: Okay, so you've been following this case closely. What does the filing this week say?
1: So the filing this week by um, Mr. Vilchez Lazo's public defender says that when police pulled him over, they had pulled him over for a DUI stop. And when they conducted a DUI stop, they had him blow into what's called a PAS test, which is a sort of a pre-alcohol screening test test in order to collect his saliva on the mouthpiece for the test. Most
0: people would think of it as a breathalyzer.
1: Right, it's not technically a breathalyzer, but yeah, that's gotcha. sort of colloquially what we, what we call it. It's a, it's a PAS test. Um, that's like pre-alcohol screening before you go in and get a blood test or, or a breathalyzer, which is actually uh, stronger, more admissible evidence.
0: Okay, so he blows on the breathalyzer.
1: They take the mouthpiece for the breathalyzer and say, okay, you're free to go. And then you collect the DNA off of his uh, from his saliva that he blew into the uh, mouthpiece with to um, to obtain his DNA profile.
0: And was he intoxicated?
1: No, he blew, blew a zero point uh, zero blood alcohol content. And even after uh, he blew into it once, they uh, allegedly had him blow into it a second time and told him to get more saliva on it.
0: Okay, so it's the defense's contention. That the stop was just a pretext to uh, get this saliva that they could run against the uh, the samples from the crime scenes.
1: Right, and and where this is problematic potentially is that um, this isn't uh, a search that they obtained a warrant from. Typically, when you're going to collect a person's DNA, you need probable cause. You need to go to a judge. You need to get uh, them to sign off on a warrant to collect somebody's blood or do it. What's called a buccal swab of their cheek to collect their DNA. You don't just go around collecting people's DNA uh, or searching people for their DNA. There are uh, exceptions where you can collect DNA from discarded material like a cigarette butt or something like that. Which in this case, police, uh, you know, purportedly could have done. They could have followed him a little bit longer if they suspected he was uh, indeed uh, the the perpetrator of these crimes and waited till he discarded something.
0: Got it. But but you reported that uh, it may be permissible, possibly, um, if you are really doing a DUI, st- DUI stop and you really suspect someone is intoxicated, that you do take evidence from that, from the breathalyzer.
1: Right. So where this gets a little bit complicated is in the past, there was a case in Southern California in 2008 where police did just that. They uh, pulled somebody over they conducted a DUI stop. Uh, And then they used the mouthpiece for the uh, alcohol screening test to um, eventually link him to a series of home burglaries. In that case, the appeals court ruled that it was admissible evidence because it fell under the same section of the law where uh, discarded material would be. Where this case may end up being different, we'll have to see, is that whether or not police pulled him over with the intention of simply getting his DNA from him, or they actually had a legitimate reason to pull him over. Like he was swerving. Like he was swerving or driving erratically, which I think will bear out in the evidence.
0: Okay, which brings us to the larger point here. A lot of people who um, follow the law or watch television shows like Law & Order have heard the term fruit of a poisonous tree, where if there is illegal evidence, um, everything that comes after like an illegal search could be thrown out
1: in a case. Um, Is that what we're looking at here? Right. So the defense's argument here is that the search was illegal. This was the initial search, keep in mind, that led police to identify Orlando Vilches Lazo as the defendant. So if that search was illegally done, everything that would have come from it All of the search warrants, all of the evidence from his electronic devices, all of the evidence from his car, and all of the evidence from his home could no longer be admissible in court. So if they win on this motion, if a judge rules that this was indeed an illegal search, it would be devastating for the prosecution's case. They would have no evidence they could use against
0: him. But couldn't they argue that based on his behavior that night, being in the area where they were doing this, uh, that they would have followed up? And eventually got his DNA anyway?
1: Well, I would expect the prosecution to use an uh, argument like that. There's a number of arguments that they can use. I've been talking to legal experts about this issue all day. And there's um, there's a number, including what you uh, mentioned, which it would be like a inevitable discovery doctrine where they could argue, look, sure, maybe this search wasn't um, – legal, but we had already identified this guy. We were already following up on the case. It would have only been a matter of other investigative leads that would have brought us right to him.
0: Okay. So I want to ask you, what have the police or the district attorney said uh, after this filing was made, after the accusation was made, that this search was illegal?
1: Well, police and the district attorney haven't said anything. Uh, Police, once they've turned it over to prosecutors, um, are sort of letting them handle it and the district attorney's office um, said they will file a response to this motion w- which will be their comment essentially. Okay and so we'll have to see how it plays out in court in coming days. Right on the 15th next week this will um, the judge will hear these arguments uh, and then ultimately at a later date make a ruling. So we should learn more as uh, you know this case plays out in court.
0: Okay. Before I let you go, I want to ask you about a couple things that probably people that have followed the case are particularly interested in. Um, first off, he was really a Lyft driver.
1: That's right. He he worked for Lyft, even though police said he wasn't using the platform at the time. He worked for the company, and you know, this brought up a lot of concerns for people because they feel like the background check didn't catch this guy Uh, federal immigration officials said he was in the country illegally so the question is why wasn't that caught by a background check and do they know you even
0: have a background check on someone who doesn't have any uh any paperwork uh of their time in the u.s
1: right do they know what he was doing in peru before he came over here maybe he had an extensive criminal record over there that they didn't know about so it raised serious questions for that company who said they've since tightened up a lot of their policies on background checks.
0: Okay, but they haven't specifically said how he might have fallen through the cracks.
1: They they haven't been very forthcoming with a lot of the details in that.
0: And what did U.S. immigration officials say? They've been very critical of San Francisco's sanctuary policies that are pro-immigrant.
1: Right, so immediately after this happened... Um, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement put out a statement saying, uh, "This is, you know, the problem with sanctuary cities. Um, you've got a, you know, a person committing all these horrific crimes, and they're in the country illegally. Uh, the issue with that, though, is the way that sanctuary city policies work, is that they prohibit cooperation between uh, law enforcement and immigration officials. So." Vilches Lazo, who had never been arrested or in contact with San Francisco law enforcement before, would have never been in a position where the Sanctuary City ordinance would have applied to him.
0: Got it. So it wasn't a factor.
1: No, it was sort of just a shot by ICE at Sanctuary Cities.
0: Evan, thank you. Terrific reporting. um, And we will be following your coverage of this case as it moves forward. Thank you. Thank you to reporter Evan Cernofsky for joining us to Libby Coleman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.
1: Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle podcast network.
0: If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing.
0: You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle.
1: There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.